You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. Good to see all of you here today. I preach a lot of places, but I'd rather preach here than any place. Which means I plan on staying here. I have no plan to do anything else. I'm even going to retire from Christ for the Nations and stay here. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. They, uh, They work me too hard. Amen. I do love it, but it's a lot of work. The Lord's been doing great things. I, I, one of these Sundays, I'll just give you a good report on what's going on in Dallas. You need to know kind of what I'm into. And, you know, I'm a director of a Bible college in, in Dallas, Texas, called Christ for the Nations Institute. Some of you, how many of you have never heard of it? A few of you have never heard of it until till recently. Never heard of it. How many of you have never heard of it? Today, it's... We've got about 1,200 students there in, in a Bible college in the south side of Dallas called Christ for the Nations, founded in 1970. And, uh, and, and it's, a, it's an international society of missions training and uh, worship training and pastoral training and all kinds of things we do. And uh, I stay extremely busy. But I do have time to let my wife humiliate me when we get on our bicycles together. <laughs> She just runs off and leaves me. All I see is, well, it's a nice view. (laughs) Just because I'm a pastor don't mean I'm dead. (laughs) Amen. All right. Take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 18. <laughs> Genesis chapter 18. Today I'm starting a series of messages called God is Good. God is Good. God is Good. You need to know that God is good and only does good. Because He is good, He cannot act outside of His nature like you do. Yeah. I used to be on, the reason we responded to you is because we've always been involved in these kinds of things. I was on the Child Welfare Board in Tom Green County, Texas for two terms. And it was a heartbreaking job. It was a volunteer position. You know, we're just, they had, they, had, they tried to have a one person. I don't know if they have the, the, the Child Welfare Boards here in Oklahoma, but uh, there were boards that worked with CPS and, yeah. and the foster care Custody system. Okay. Well, I served on that board. And uh, it was a, 
And we were advocates for the children and for the foster care people, mostly with CPS and all that. Helped raise money and things. And it was a very important job, and I, I, I enjoyed the job, but it was a heartbreaking job because you heard all the terrible stories and children that needed so much. And, they were, and, you, and you, she's right. Sometimes if a county is full, they'll move a child clear across the state to find a, to find a place for them. They have to. We had a lot of kids from San Antonio and San Angelo, 200 miles away. Well, how is that going to help them? I mean, it, it's the best we could do, but, but it takes them completely out of their environment and all their friends and their social structure and everything that's familiar to them. That's very, very painful for a kid. It's bad enough that they have to move from one home to another, much less completely out of the city and out of their comfort zone. Uh, so if you can be involved in that, we'd love to encourage you. It's a great ministry. We feel, I feel like God brought us a word here today that wealth comes from, you know, from the people we know as well. I mean, we think about it. I shared this with my students a few months ago. If you could have the finest home you could imagine, the finest home with everything you wanted in it, just think of what house that would be. You have the finest of everything. The finest mountaintop in the Swiss Alps, wherever you want it in the world, you can have it. I wouldn't go there. I'd stay in southern Oklahoma, but <laughs> North Texas is someplace close. Uh, but, 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 and you could have, you could have acres and acres of, of beautiful rolling grasslands with, with, with the finest bred horses out there and, 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 and every toy and every work of art you can imagine in your mansion. The finest of ele electronics in your mansion. You walk in and it, 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 it listens to your voice. You say lights on, lights off, all that kind of thing. Prepare me a meal and the machines make you a meal. <laughs> had a 20-car garage with every exotic car you can imagine in there. I mean, I'm just making you rich. And a billion dollars in the bank. I'm giving you this. But I'm taking every other person off the planet except one. And I'm not going to tell you if that's a man or a woman all you know is there's one other person on the planet somewhere. What are you going to do? You going to stay there and play with your toys? Or are you going to go find them? You can go find another person and hope it's a person of the opposite sex. That's what you're going to do. <laughs> going to gonna try to save humanity. Because our life really is not about what we possess. But it's more about the people in our lives. That's why God didn't save us by sending us money. He saved us by sending us his son. To bring us into his family. He brings you into his family. Then you get what he has. Which is everything. Money is a side issue. Compared to the relationships that are in our lives. Amen. Can I have a better amen? Amen. I had, did have one student say, I'm going to play with my toys for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> then I'll go. <laughs> okay, two weeks. <laughs> this generation's so wrapped up in their toys anyway, you know, they, they can live without people for a couple of weeks. Genesis 18, verse 16. If you want to put it up on the board, that's fine. 
this series we're talking about God is good. All the time God is good. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on their way. You know how you walk somebody to the door. Verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Now, wait a minute. He said three men appeared to Abram to bring him news of Isaac's birth. And then as they're leaving, they look toward Sodom, and they're headed to Sodom from where Abraham was. Now, this is after he's been made righteous in chapter 15, after he has circumcised himself and to come into covenant with God in chapter 17 and changed his name to Abraham. So he's the full bore deal right now. In covenant with Almighty God from God's point and from His point. Both sides have, have contributed now. And the men rose up from thence and, and looked toward Sodom. Then it says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham? The Lord, where did the Lord come into these men? This is how God always appeared, almost always appeared to Abraham was as an angel or as a messenger. I believe that this, this angel is Jesus. You can believe what you want to, but I believe this is what we call in, in biblical terms, in theology, a Christophany. A pre-appearance of the Christ himself talking to his friend Abraham. He calls him the Lord. So Abraham knew Jesus. Jesus said he saw my day. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. All the nations. So here's God. He has a secret. And he's with his man. And he says, Can I really go do what I'm about to do in Sodom without talking it over with Abraham? What that means is, what that means is God is not as sovereign as you think he is. Oh, God is sovereign. He can do anything He wants to. No, I'm sorry. He just can't. Not when He is in covenant and has promised the nations of the world to Abraham. That limits God to Abraham's input. Because God, unlike most of us, God takes covenant seriously. This is because He's good, and He takes covenant seriously. Seriously, because he's good. If he makes a promise, he's going to keep that promise. You need to understand this. He's not the kind of God who goes back on his word, who will say one thing and, and, and do right. something else. Right. To prove this, years ago, uh, I, I saw George Barna's study on, uh, on divorce and remarriage in America, especially divorce in America, and how the statistics inside the church were no different from the statistics outside the church. Basically about half the marriages break up. And it's a margin of error, you know, so it's about half. It's about half in the church, about half outside the church in America. So George Barnard's conclusion was going to church does, you know, does your marriage no good. Sorry, George, you're wrong. But I did think about what would cause that. Now, there's a few things I know about human nature. And please stay with me. I don't mean to bore you with these philosophical and psychological thoughts, but I have to to get this point across to you. A few things I know about human nature, and that is you become like whatever objects of worship you have in your life. This is why God said, I will not have you worshiping idols of stone. 
because he did not want you to get a stony heart. Remember, they had a stony heart anyway. The law did not come for them to worship the law, but they wound up worshiping the law. They wouldn't worship images graven with their own hands, but they worshiped the law, which was written in stone, and their hearts became stony. God was saying, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to worship idols of stone. He didn't want them worshiping the law, but they did. Didn't mix it with faith in God. They just, you know, did the, did the ritual. It became a ritual to them, and they wound up with hardened hearts. You know people like that. If you don't, you will. They're everywhere. You may have been one of, your, one of them yourself. I've, I've been there myself. Who hadn't? Some measure. Because we come, become like what we worship. They, they tell us that almost all serial killers start with pornography. Almost all start with pornography. Because with pornography, they don't, they're not able to feel any feelings. They know their victims don't have feelings. And so they shut themselves off to others' feelings. And they, they start by... Killing animals mercilessly. And they get desensitized. They stop having feelings. And it's, it's a little bit deeper than that. It's, it's much deeper than that, in fact. I'm not altogether sure the difference between a, a sociopath or, and a psychopath. But I heard the definition like this. A sociopath builds castles in the sky. A psychopath lives in them. And the psychiatrist collects the rent. <laughs> but they start with, they start with uh, objects of worship that harden their hearts. Now, hang on to this. Because you become like that which you worship, which you idolize. In most of religion, God is number one. What they, what they say about God most often about God is that He is sovereign. Which in their mind says, doesn't matter what He has said, He can do anything He wants to do because nobody tells God what to do. They have this principle about God. He's sovereign. And they always talk about it in times of great tragedy or, or pain or, or some kind of insult from the weather. <laughs> like Jeff Foxworthy said, can't you get it, folks? God hates trailer parks. That's the, <laughs> Jeff Foxworthy's theology, you know. As though God is sending tornadoes to trailer parks all the time. Oh, he's got all these tornadoes around. He said, what am I going to do with these? Oh, I'll just kill some people. I feel bad. I'm a little bit angry today. Just, uh, especially hate Oklahoma. I'm going to create tornadoes. <laughs> no, that's not... God at all. That's a cartoon God you made up in your own mind. But, you know, God is sovereign. You always hear people say that, that at the worst of times. Oh, God is sovereign. Pardon me, does that mean that He can make promises but not keep them? What kind of God are you worshiping? I've always been against this idea about God. That He make promises of good to us, like Jeremiah 29, 11. He's got plans for our future, which are good plans. The Word was good. Hope and a future, good plans. But you know, God's sovereign. He can, you know, take your head off if He wants to. Are you kidding? What kind of God are you worshiping? Sovereign? Makes Him able to do evil and call it good? 
This is a, a perverseness that's rife in the body of Christ. True Christians believe this nonsense. So what I did was, Miss Ann and I, we did a, a non-scientific study. I know what a scientific study is, and this is non-scientific, but it's really, we did it as accurately as we knew how. Over an 11-year period where we pastored in one place for 11 straight years. And we looked at our statistics, and we looked at the families that we had pastored in that time. It was hundreds and hundreds. I don't remember how many hundreds. 750 families, I think it was, something like that. Over an 11-year period. There was a lot more who had come and gone that weren't on our books, you understand. But at one point when we looked at our books, about 750 there. And, and so there's a lot of people. And we went through there. And we figured up how many divorces there had been. You know how many there had been? Not 50%. Not 40%. Not 30%. Not 20%. Not 10%. Not even 5%. Not even 3%. 2%. 2%. Hey, 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 the national average said 52%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. 2%. What's the difference? What was the difference in what the national average was and what our average was? 2%. i tell you what it is. A man who stands before God and makes promises. Now, I'm not saying there's no reason for, for divorce. If you've been divorced, I don't care how many times, God loves you, and we're welcome, right. we welcome you here. We're glad you're here. The past is the past. Amen. But I'm just saying, you know, you don't want to go through another one, do you? No. I mean, we know it's a bad thing. Even if you have to do it, it's a bad thing. It's not a fun ex experience to go through a divorce. Right, right. But I found that what the real difference was that I always preach that God is good. And if you become like the God you worship, when a man stands before God and man, and stands before with, with, by his wife, his new bride, and makes promises to her, makes promises that he is intending on keeping, if the God he worships makes promises that he doesn't keep, oh. does he have any chance of keeping his promises? None! Well, he has a 50-50 chance. <laughs> he has a 50-50 chance. But a guy who worships a God who makes promises and keeps them, apparently the odds of him breaking his covenant promises go way down. Amen. Can I have a better amen? amen? Your God is good. He makes promises and keeps his promises. Hallelujah. He takes this thing of covenant seriously. That's why he talks to Abraham. Can I really do this without talking it over with him? What a question for the, for the Almighty to ask. For I know him, verse 19, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Hmm. Apparently... How much of the covenant blessings you have upon your life depends upon your actions. How much of the covenant blessings and how many of the covenant blessings you have in your life depend on your actions. Because God says, I know Abraham, what he's going to be like. All his blessings are going to come upon him by, by what he does. And one of the biggest things you can do is keep your kids in church and beat their butts when they need it. Yeah. It's not very theological, but it's important to know. 
Never abusing a child. That's just silly. Why would you abuse a little kid? But God made a space for them. A little spot right there. <laughs> it's real thick and <coughs> so good for them. It's so healthy for them to get a nice little spanking when they need it. I can tell by looking at your kids which ones get spanked and which ones don't. Miss Ann says, I didn't get enough spankings. I said, I got plenty of spankings. She said, no, no, no. Kids who get plenty of spankings don't turn out like you. <laughs> but you can't be one way or the other with them. It's got to be a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a little bit of spanking and a whole bunch of love, a whole bunch of affirmation. Whole bunch of reminding them who they are. My boys, when they got to be teenagers, they wanted to go out on the weekends. You know, I let them get dressed and they'd get ready to go. So, all right, well, what time y'all gonna be in? Okay, I tell them. Well, we had a time, you know. And who are you gonna be with? What's her name and all that? Does she have a daddy? Does he have a gun? You know. And I was hoping he did, because my sons are far more afraid of a girl's daddy that has a gun than me. And then, all right, bye, bye, kiss mom and all that, get ready to go. I said, just, just before they shut the door, they knew it was going to happen every time, every single time. Just before they shut the door, I said, hey, 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 come back. They'd walk back in, stand there and look at me. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. You're not like them, and we're not like them. Remember who you are. Okay, Dad. They told me they had plenty of temptations and sometimes gave in. But they said, oh, your words would ring in the halls of our souls, <laughs> especially if we were giving in. <laughs> they took, the right no, took the fun right out of it. <laughs> Remember who you are. How much of the blessings of the covenant you receive depends upon your actions. If you act like an imbecile, you get what an imbecile deserves. <laughs> If you sow the seeds with silly behavior, you get silly results. But he said, I know him and I know what he's going to do. I know the kind of man he is. I know the kind of actions he takes. I'm going to reward him. I cannot just act on my own. Hear me. God is waiting on your reactions, I think, sometimes to see what he's going to do in the earth through you and for you. All that God does in the earth is really contingent upon what the church does. I believe this. I don't believe that he's sovereignly going to act apart from us. How shall he who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all not freely give us all things? This God is with you. He's for you. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. That means that this good God lives inside of you and he's not interested in acting on his own part. He's interested in having his will accomplished in the earth through his church. The Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come up unto me. And if not, I will know. Here's another sacred cow we need to deal with. Well, you know, brother, God knows everything. Really. Really. Apparently he didn't know that. 
until he was going to find out. Well, you, you can't believe that God doesn't know everything. I know God doesn't know everything, and I can prove it to every Calvinist in the room. God does not know everything because he promised us that he would never remember our sins again. How many of you are thankful for that verse of Scripture? Because I, I had a hay truck full of sins I didn't want him to remember. Couldn't hide it, couldn't find a barn big enough to back it into. I just was... <laughs> he, yeah, my sins were glaring, and I'm so grateful that he forgot all about them, which means he learns some things or he forgets some things. The God of heaven has absolute full control. This is one of the things that makes him God. He can know just what he wants to know and not know anything he wants to know. Now, he is omniscient in this sense, meaning all-knowing. He is all-knowing in this sense that he can know anything he wants to know. Don't forget this. He can know anything he wants to know. But I think it's more powerful to say that he forgets some things. He cannot know whatever he doesn't want to know, too. And find it out just like you find it out. He can do that if he wants to because, well, he is God. Amen. That doesn't, he's, not, he's not the God that you paint in your mind that he automatically knows everything. That's the God you created. He's a real God. He's a real person. And he can forget anything he wants to forget. How many of you wish you had that ability? How many of you have had some things done to you you wish you could forget? How many of you have had, you've done some things you wish you could forget? Hmm. Why can't you? Because you're not God. Oh. You don't have charge of your brain like he does. He has complete control of his faculties, whatever they be. Wow. So if he says, I can forget it, that means he can act like it never happened and it'll never register again in his memory. It's completely gone. That's what forgiveness really is. It's God forgetting any, never having any record of it. I don't care how vile you've been. It all got washed away with the blood of Jesus. I know you still have the tattoo from the event, but... <laughs> You're laughing too hard, sister. I know. I got to know some things. <laughs> Verse 21, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, and if, and in which has come up unto me. And if not, I'll know. So the Lord can withhold his foreknowledge. Now look at verse 22. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. It's like they're saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to go on over here to Sodom. And Abraham runs around in front of them. He says, hold it. Now he knows this is the Lord. He knows when he talks to these men, he's talking to the Almighty, his covenant partner. What that means is when you are in covenant with God, you have rights that others do not have. Imagine somebody trying to stop God from doing something. Come on. <laughs> okay, a burnt biscuit. That's what they become. They just become a burnt little biscuit. But here's Abraham standing up to him. And he says, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? What a question. Will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now listen to what he says. 
per adventure there be 50 righteous. Now, we're not talking about people who have been made righteous by grace. We're not talking about the people who have God's own righteousness inside them like you do. We're talking about people who've lived pretty good lives. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about people who have the actual righteousness of God in Christ in their hearts like you do. He's only talking about people who've lived pretty good lives. Not somebody who's actually righteous like you know righteousness. Talking about somebody who's lived a pretty good life. Not real righteousness like you have. A righteousness of a lot less value and a lot less pristine nature. That's the kind of righteousness you have. There be 50 righteous within the city. Will you also destroy and not spare the place for 50 righteous that are therein? And listen to, what he, listen to his little speech he makes, he makes to God. Powerful speech, verse 25. That be far from thee to do after this manner. That kind of thing ought not to be near you anywhere. To slay the righteous with the wicked. Not, not, not the righteous who have been made righteous by God's own righteousness. Just people who live pretty good lives. Are you hearing me? Yes. Even those people who live pretty good, decent lives, Abram is saying, Abraham is saying, it's wrong for you to kill them while you're killing everybody else. And the righteous shouldn't be as the wicked. That be far, he says, that, says it again, that be far from, that shouldn't even come near you. That be far from thee. Shall not, and he asked this, this provoking, this provocative question to God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, who do you think you are, you little pipsqueak? I can mash you like a bug. How dare you talk to Almighty God like this? Shall not the judge of all the earth... If somebody talked to me that way, shall not the director of the institute... You're fired. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What a question. Fellas, let me, let me say something to you. The reason your wife talks to you in the tone of voice she does sometimes is because people in covenant have certain rights that other people don't have. God's not going to take this off of just anybody. Not everybody can talk to God like this. But there's one guy on planet earth that can. That's why we all call him our father, this Abraham. That's why we call him our father. Because he's in covenant with God. First guy to ever get in covenant with God by faith. And he can talk to God in ways that others don't know anything about. Now he's still fearful. You'll see later the way he talks to him. But he asked this provoking question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right now? Abraham knows one thing. That it is wrong intrinsically, inherently, cellularly, molecularly wrong to make somebody innocent pay for what somebody wicked has done. Just wrong. And yet, most of the church believes that Hurricane Katrina, killing all those poor, innocent people down in, down in the Ninth Ward, just poor folk, most of them Christian people, 
and leaving Bourbon Street high and dry was somehow the hand of God. All I want to know is how many brain cells do you have to have missing to come up with some kind of stupid theology like that? Because you have to be brain damaged or religious. And they're about the same thing. They're about the same thing. About the same thing. Really? God just goes around and killing people to try to get at the bad people? I heard one of the, one of the great prophets talk about 9-11 has been the judgment of God. You lost your mind. Have you lost your mind? Great, great man of God. You lost your mind? This can't possibly be God. It's not this God who does not kill the, wicked, kill the righteous to get at the wicked. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what's right? Amen. If he's not going to do right, how does he expect us to do right? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm preaching good. <laughs> when you're in covenant with God, you have rights others don't have. Like saying this kind of thing, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God only does what is right, and judgment on the righteous, or condemnation on the righteous, let's say, is not right. Judgment on the righteous is right because you've already been judged. As a believer, you got judged when Jesus got judged, or the gospel means nothing. As a believer, when you come to faith in Christ, your judgment has passed which means that God put all the judgment for sin over on Jesus. Everybody believes this. This is basic Christian theology. Everybody believes that Christ died for our sins. He did not die for my sins after I committed them. He died for my sins in case I sinned. Or or be dying every day because new, new sinners are born every day. He died for my sins long before I ever committed any. 2,000 years before I was born. 1954 years to be exact. Something like that. He was dealing with the sin problem not of you per se, but he was dealing with the sin problem of a man named Adam. He went all the way back to the garden and took away every sin that had ever been committed and had God given God the right to lay all the sins of the whole world over onto Jesus for all that were committed and all that would be committed. Remember, the Passover lamb was not killed at the end of the year to take care of last year's sins. No, sir. You thought that? You thought that the, the high priest took the Paschal lamb in for Passover to deal with the sins of the people that were passed? No, I'm sorry. It's just not how it happened. The Passover lamb was was killed to deal with what was coming. The Passover lamb dealt with what was coming. It's, it, that's for the coming year. It wasn't for what was past. That was what was what's coming. The death angel was coming. He hadn't passed yet. He was coming. He dealt with the judgment to come. Amen. Put up First Thessalonians 1.10. This just popped in my mind. First Thessalonians 1.10. I think I shared this with you last week. A little bit of this. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 
In the grown-up Bible, please. <laughs> Those of you who may be new here, you can read any Bible you like. But if you ever want to grow up, read the KJV. <laughs> King James Version. It's the one I like. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us. Now this is possible that this Greek, <coughs> Greek tense here could have been translated delivers us. But it works both ways. Who delivered or does deliver. Who delivered us from the wrath, what? Did He deliver us from our past or did He deliver us from what's coming? Amen. I'm glad about being delivered from my past, but I'm, I'm more happy about being delivered from what's coming. Because the past was my actions. What's coming is the judgment. You hear me? This, the gospel is real. And it really works for you. Doesn't make you capable of living an unholy life. It makes you capable of living in the faith of God's elect. God only does right and judgment on the righteous is not right or Condemnation on the righteousness is not right. Verse 26, back to Genesis 18. And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. I think we find this powerful truth here. As long as you are here, you hold back judgment from being poured out on evil men. As long as you are here, you are holding back the judgment from being poured out on evil men. Because the blessing is on you. The blessing is on the people of God. God's blessing is on your life. God's blessing is in your car, and in your home, and in your business, and in your school, because God's blessing is on you wherever you go. David said, if I descend into hell, God is there. He didn't say God is in hell. I heard one guy tell me, say, well, God is everywhere. I said, no, he's not everywhere. We, we wouldn't be trying to get men to invite him into their hearts. Maybe it's farm boy theology, but it works. If he's already in their hearts, why am I trying to get people to invite him into their hearts? He's not there. God is not everywhere. He can be, but he's not everywhere. You, you need to hear this. I've been a few places where he wasn't until I arrived. Glory to God. Amen. When you arrive on the scene, God is there. Amen. God's not in hell. That's what makes it hell. But David said, if I go, if I descend into hell, you are there. Well, he didn't go to hell to find God. What he's saying is, if I go, God goes with me. Amen. God is with you. He is in you. Wherever you wind up, praise God. They used to tell me, well, if you break the speed limit, the angels get off. The angels get off at 55. The angels get off at 55? Oh, gosh. I wonder when they got off your life for being such a stupid idiot. My goodness. <laughs> the things we say, the dumb things we believe. As long as you're here, you hold back judgment from being poured out on evil men. 
Verse 27, And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Now I'm not going to go through this whole thing, but I'll tell you, he goes from fifty to forty-five to forty, thirty, twenty, and look down here and uh, in verse 32 I think it says, Oh let the Lord, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Peradventure this should be found there, and he said, it shall be found ten there. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way. And as soon as he had left communion with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Why would he stop at ten? Why did he go on down to four? That's how many escaped. Four. Why did he go to four? Well, you remember Lot had two other daughters at least that had husbands. And he's probably thinking, well, if each of them has, has a baby, that's six outside the home, four inside the home, that's ten. We don't know for sure how many he had, but it says daughters and sons-in-law. So we know he had at least two. And I can just see that Abraham's kind of counting it up. Okay, now if, now if Lot has done his job, yeah. if Lot has done his job and he's blessed them, brought them upright, then that'll then it'll save the whole city. Abraham did all he could. But I want you to notice something. If you know the rest of this story, you know that this little arrangement that Abraham was able to broker with the Almighty yeah. did nothing to save Sodom. Did nothing to save Sodom. Which means that arguing and bartering with God really probably doesn't work. <laughs> Come on, how many of you have done it before and it didn't work? <laughs> I thought this was the right message. <laughs> it doesn't really work because you don't really have to do that with God. But it did let us see, but it did let us see this, this story, let us see that God does not condemn the righteous with the wicked. Now let's turn to chapter 19. Chapter 19, and I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I want you to look down about verse 19 of chapter 19 of Genesis. The angels go there, they're ill-treated by the men, or well, they're not ill-treated, but they want to be, these men want to ill-treat them, and, and Lot brings them into his house and keeps them safe and offers his daughters to these perverts in the streets, which what kind of man would do that? Lot has some real holes in his theology. And the angels say, look, we're going to destroy this place. We're going to get you out of here. Get you out of here quick. And he says, behold now, this is Lot speaking, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, talking to God, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed me unto me in saving my life, and I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. The angel told him, or the Lord, through this angel, told him, run to the mountain. He said, I don't want to go to the mountain. You've been merciful to me so far. Don't make me go to the mountain. And he's afraid he's going to go to the mountain and die. Hello, lame brain. God is there, specially there for you to save you. You have a miracle conversation going on right now and a miracle salvation about to take place right now and you're still afraid somebody's going to kill you. What is wrong with your head? 
I could be talking to 75% of God's people right now. Most of God's people have been saved from hell, born again, given every good thing that's in the gospel, and live in fear. I'm going to try this out over here. I said, most of God's people <laughs> freed from the demonic hold of sin and, and, and selfishness and the lies of the devil and still live in fear. It's so true. Why? Because fear is the stronghold of all strongholds. It is the big one. Of every demon that works out there, they all have, they all have a little weapon of fear. All of them carry this fear around with them to attack you with. If you get used to living your life in fear, your decisions will all be made on the basis of fear. Amen. Instead of on the basis of faith. For those who have found grace and salvation, found grace and salvation, fear is still an enemy. Verse 20. Behold now, listen to what he says. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little city. A little place called Zoar. Z-O-A-R. It's a little place over here called Zoar. Oh, he said, let me escape there. It's, it's just a little, little one, little place. And my soul shall live. Right outside the city, of, right, right outside of Sodom. And the angel said to him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. He spoke up for Zoar. I won't, I won't destroy that town. He said, hurry though, Escape thither, for I cannot. Everybody say, for I cannot. This is God talking. Is there something God cannot do? This is God talking. Is there something God cannot do? I cannot do anything until you get there. I cannot do anything here that I have planned for here because I have planned utter destruction and judgment here and I can't do it until you get out of town. Now get. He is an Oklahoma God, isn't he? Now get. Get. He, God said he couldn't bring judgment as long as Lot was there. Again, I say the reason we're still here is forestalling the judgment of God on America and on the world. That's why the church is still here. Because God wants a, wants a church in the earth, hallelujah, and He wants His judgment forestalled. He wants the mercy that is in our hearts to be spread around all over the world. Yeah. Zoar means, but you've got to hear what the name of Zoar means. That it means insignificant. If you live in fear your whole life, it will drive you to insignificance. If you want your life to end up insignificant, just keep following your fears. You'll, you'll arrive there. Notice what God said, that he could do nothing. Why? Why? Lot was not being saved by his performance. How many, how many of you think Lot does not look like a hero in this story? Let me see your hands. How many of you think he looks a little bit like a jerk? A fearful jerk. He's not being saved by his good performance. But he's being saved because somebody greater than him has interceded for him. He ever lives to make intercession for us. 
sitting at the right hand of the Father, my apostle and high priest, talking to God on my behalf, calling him Father and acting like he's my Father. Glory to God. I've told you this story before, but some of you weren't here. Some of you are new. When I was a boy, I was eight years old. We sold calves, S-O-L-D, sold calves. I was raised on a little farm ranch situation over in Love County, small place, few hundred acres. And, uh, but we, we, made the, we made the payment on the place and got new shoes every fall, you know, when we sold the calves and that kind of thing. My birthday's August the 29th, just about the time school started. I needed everything new and, you know, in the summertime you wear out everything. You kids don't know what this, is, what this is like. My daddy brought home a regular paycheck, but we got these big paychecks about two or three times a year, depending on what crop we were raising, whether we were selling hay or whether in the summertime or whether we were, uh, you know, selling calves in the, in the fall. <coughs> and uh, we'd sold the calves, and daddy had a lot of money. What was a lot of money back then? And my brother, we were at the Montgomery Ward store in Gainesville, Texas. Have you ever been there? It, it, it was on the square, on the southwest corner of the square. We were in there, and my mother said, James, you're going to buy me a deep freeze. She wanted one of those great big old chest-type deep freezes so we could kill a calf, you know, and keep it there. So that's what we did. Went over there and bought Mama a deep freeze with this new money we had. And I remember walking around that store, and up on the wall was hanging a guitar. A guitar. And I was eight years old. And everybody thought I was going to be a guitar player because I had a little plastic Roy Rogers guitar yeah. that my mama had bought me. And I could keep time on it. She was a piano player, and she'd make me stand there beside her, and I'd keep time on that guitar. You know, it just said, it had no real music to it, but although it had those little plastic strings, you couldn't tune it or anything because it really didn't play. But I could keep time. She thought it was cool. My brother sees that guitar hanging. It's a wooden guitar with metal strings, like my Uncle Junior's guitar, who was a guitar player. My brother, he's six years older than me. He was 14, I was eight. He comes over to me and he says, or I was about to be eight. He said, John, look down there on that wall that guitar. I said, oh, that's pretty, ain't it? He said, yeah. He said, well, won't you ask Daddy to get that for you for your birthday? I said, how much is it? He says, $32. I said, oh, I don't get that much. See, I sold a calf until I, got, I was going to get some money, you know, and after I bought my school clothes and all that, I said, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I have that much left. He said, well, Daddy needs to buy it for you for your birthday. I said, well, I can't ask him to do that. I remember, I, just, I said, I, I'm I can't ask him for that. My brother, six years older than me, 14 years old. Now, you ever met a 14-year-old kid? He wasn't quite 14 yet. You ever met a 14-year-old kid that, that, that knew his daddy had money and wanted it for his little brother? No, a 14-year-old wants everything, doesn't he? That's why my brother's always been my hero. He said, I'll ask him for you. You will? Yeah, I'll ask him for you. Come with me. So he went walking over there to Daddy. He's a big kid anyway. He went walking over there to Daddy. Man, I was walking. Come here, Dylan. Help me. I got to show you what I, how, how, how it looked. Dylan just, 
just turn around and take off walking. I was walking just like this. <laughs> I, was, I was right behind him. Right behind him. I'd peek out from around every now and then, see if Daddy's looking. And Tony walked up there and he says, Hey, Daddy. Well, we, we didn't call him Daddy. We called him Diddy. Hey, Diddy. Hey, Diddy. Yeah. Look down there, hanging on that wall, that guitar. Yeah, what about it? Why don't you get that for John? And I'm hiding back here, you know. <laughs> Why don't you get that for John for his birthday? Daddy looked around at me. Come on, let's go have a look at it. Oh, happy day. Because <laughs> if it was no, it was H no right then. <laughs> Holler no right then. But when it said, let's go have a look at it, yeah, there's a possibility. So we go down there and they pull that guitar down off the wall, and he bought that guitar for me for my birthday. It's good to have an elder brother who knows the father better than you do. <laughs> Woo, glory! You may not know how to say, help me, God, but you got an elder brother speaking up for you, praise God. You got somebody stronger than you speaking up for you. You got somebody reminding the Father of all he paid for you. Hallelujah. He's worthy of the price that he paid, worthy of having your life. And he wants nothing but the best for you. He speaks on your behalf all the time. Glory to God.